hi, 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 hi. <laughs> oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hi, sorry. Did I look totally zoned out and, like, hypnotized? Yes, you look very startled by the fact that someone else was here, despite the fact that you were presumably sitting here waiting for someone else to be here. I was. Sorry, I was watching... I was watching a video of a high-end commercial food processor. Oh, typical. Typical? What do you mean by that? You love kitchen gear. I do love kitchen gear. I don't feel like you necessarily like kitchen gear like to do weird cooking techniques. Like You wouldn't want something to do sous vide. No, fuck that. No. You do like cooking gear that makes things easier, but in very elaborate ways. Yes. Yeah, I was just looking at a... $1,500 commercial food processor that can, like, dice tomatoes. Wow. Which I was mm-hmm. like, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, just fantasizing about ridiculous kitchen gadgets. The usual. It's how I escape from, you know, everything. Yeah. The struggle of your wonderful life with your girlfriend who you love moving into your beautiful new house. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> How dare you remind me of the things I should be grateful for? I am very grateful for it. There's been a snafu with the house stuff, but I think it's oh, normal. No. Who do I need to kill? Uh, my bank. Oh, great. That very much aligns with the people I would like to kill anyway. I know. I know. Well, they're a credit union, you know, so. So maybe I should just maim them is what you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a little confused about the difference between credit unions and banks. Me too. Especially in this day and age. I think the difference maybe used to be bigger. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Because like technically my bank account is with USAA. Which is technically a credit union, but it's pretty much just a bank. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. These things, they're all probably bad for you. Yeah. Just go join a cult, is my recommendation. <laughs> Run away from it all, join a cult. Uh, Michael. Yes. How are you? There's a snafu. There's a snafu. I'm fantasizing about, you know, kitchen gadgets. Saw my folks for thanksgiving this is a very russian experience for everyone <laughs> i just imagine you all eating like a raw beet a piece that's kind of what it was <laughs> even if you weren't doing that physically it's what i imagine you doing like spiritually and emotionally oh definitely definitely it's really weird because the younger generation is totally aware of that's what's happening like we're eating right these you're beets. eating the meta beets yeah we're eating the meta beets and we're looking at each other and we're like guys we are eating these fucking beets right now but then right but everyone else is just noshing on their beets yeah unselfconsciously unselfconsciously just noshing <laughs> on beets you know i brought grunge girl and i was talking to her and my brother i was like the thanksgiving table at the sokolovsky's is like a shakespeare play where mm-hmm. you can do asides and no one will notice. Right, you can have like a little a soliloquy. Yes, exactly. You can have a soliloquy and no one will notice. You can just be right. like, wow, my grandfather's being a jerk right now. It is out loud. Let me talk about my plot to murder him using a play within a play. Yeah, and no one cares. Everyone's just focused on the beat. Everyone's just focused on the beat in front of them. You've got the beat. Well, how are you, Hava? I'm well, Baruch Hashem. I had a little Thanksgiving with my boyfriend's family. They're very sweet. The food was very cheese heavy. I ended up not being able to eat everything I put on my plate because there was so much cheese. 
oh. present, which is, you know, that it takes a lot of cheese to get me to that point. Yeah, overall, I'm well. I'm in a weird mood today because I had to wake up early to go take care of some cats that I'm cat sitting. For me, I'm one of those people that like if my morning routine is disturbed, the rest of my day is just like off. Yeah, you're an orchid. Yeah, I'm a very delicate flare. But actually, you're not. You aspire and want to advertise to the world <laughs> that you're very delicate. Yeah, I'm flagging delicate flower. In reality, if there was a zombie apocalypse today, I would rock it. Yeah. The thing is, and I know you've heard me spout this theory a hundred thousand times, as someone with a statistically anomalous amount of trauma, I think the zombie apocalypse would be easier for me in a certain sense than normal life because existing in a sort of permanent emergency allows you to sort of like stay in that traumatic activated place. Yes, yes. Which is more comfortable for me than normal existence. Yeah, I think we've had like a bit of a minor test run of that. Like, remember when Trump got elected and like 30% of the not traumatized U.S. population had a flip out? Right. And I was like, let's go. I'm ready to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been waiting to fight. In fact, what I have to do all the time is tell my brain that it's not time to fight. Yeah, exactly. Same, same. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I don't have as much trauma as you, but I have I have something. And we both have the something. (laughs) We both have something. We sit on the couch and there must be something wrong. That's what's up with the delicate flower thing. There is within me a delicate flower. It's protected by like a personality, a sub personality that was developed through trauma. If you had grown up in like the white picket fence, if you had grown up, you know, with a like a beautiful marble countertop. <laughs> if only I had grown up with the right countertops, everything would have been different. I actually don't like marble countertops, just as a side note. Well, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but <laughs> I thought it was pretty ghost of you. Okay, what's your favorite countertop? You know, I'm weirdly partial to a, like a finished wood countertop. Oh, shit. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm that bitch. So if you had a finished wood countertop and you grew up like completely trauma free, you would be like a dainty little like annoying. You'd be a snowflake. I would be princess. You'd be like a crystalline. Glass menagerie vibe okay wow you'd, you'd be the glass menagerie or you'd yeah, be the, exactly. okay okay not that you'd be the you know the characters in the no, glass no, menagerie no. no well i don't know i like the hava that's in front of me i know i'm proud of who i've become today i love myself as i am but you know the other day i was teaching my hanukkah class and i noticed myself saying something along the lines of like i'm the special hanukkah princess And then I was like, wow, you can really tell I wasn't allowed Barbies as a child. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I think some part of me really wants to be the special princess of every day and seeks out scenarios that allow that to happen. Wow. Okay. Well, (laughs) your majesty. This has been our episode. It's just only been about (laughs) Hava's psychological complications. Well, um, you know, I'm sure they're relatable to people. Yeah, I'm sure there are other Hanukkah princess out there. You people out there that feel self-hate about the internal contradictions of who you are inside your body guess what join our zombie apocalypse commune come join the zombie apocalypse you're accepted you're a normal person some people kill zombies to cope yeah okay it's fine just come here and do it that zombie was actually neurodivergent so it was actually really fucked up of you to kill it (laughs) 
Oh. Uh, what is zombification if not a form of neurodivergence? I guess it's like life divergence. I mean, it depends on the form of, is it a virus? Is it magic? Is it right, aliens? Right, like, right. it really depends on what kind of zombie effect we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if it's like a brain virus... Yeah, well, then, then the case could be made. We just need to be allies to our zombie brothers and sisters. If we were to live in an actually democratic society, then there would be a zombie parliament. Yeah, maybe a whole zombie. Okay, one second. Love you, baby. Have a good day. Love you. This hooded like muskrat just came and like kissed you. That's my type. <laughs> oh, goodbye, you scruffy, compact little like fucking weasel of a boyfriend. I'm in love with that scruffy, compact little weasel. I know you love that shit. Like the more like rabies infected like, <laughs> your boyfriend looks, the more easily I can picture like someone as a raccoon or like a possum. I know. I the know. stronger the bond. That's very strange. It's like deep down, like you are a rotten, hollowed out a hole in a tree. And Absolutely. You just like... <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay. So should we talk about Talmud? Yeah. Tell me whatever bullshit you've come here to tell me. Wait. Well, it's No, it's your turn to tell me bullshit. No. Oh, my God. You're right. It is. Okay. I just forgot what day of the week it was. Oh, my God. Oh, what the fuck are we talking about today? Okay. Dear listeners, we got a wonderful question from Puzzle in Providence. Oh. And here is what they ask. I have a live question for you. I am awkwardly still in love with my ex, and they are a bit confusing in how they act towards me, and it's making it tricky to get over them. They are dating someone else monogamously, but when I get distance from them, they become extremely available and interested in talking, flirting, etc. The old availability slash interest pendulum situation. Anyhow, would love to know your thoughts on handling the situation. Thank you, XOXO. Hmm. So therein lies our dilemma. Let's just start off with what do you think about that, Michael? Have you ever been in that situation? I think I've been in analogous situations. Yeah, yeah, where people are jerking you around a little bit because they like it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds like it's one of those situations where someone only wants you when they can't have you, which is just the worst, especially for someone like me who is like so fiending for affection at all times yeah yeah you are you are to have it like constantly snatched away in that kind of situation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um is emotionally grueling yeah yeah and i think like for you like there's always like the trap of the dude who like is attracted to you but then is like uncomfortable with being attracted to you right that is a trap i have been in many times before that's the real definition of the word trap like, that's a guy. It's the guy who is the true trap. Yeah, the, the guy is the true trap. Yeah, yeah. You know, people suck sometimes. Jerking yeah. you around. Get rid of them. But I want to know what the rabbis have to say. <laughs> well, the rabbis, uh, unfortunately, did not directly say, like, anything about this because th this situation is was probably unimaginable to them. But they did say something that I think allegorically is relevant. This is honestly going to be one of the first times we go with like a strong allegorical reading of Talmud, but we're going to do it. So we are going to Gittin 32a, one of my favorites. I've studied this page a couple times. Our daf starts with, Im mishehegia get leyada shuv, eno yachol lebatlo. What we're talking about here is when a person sends a get, which for those of you who don't know or have forgotten, a get is a statement of divorce that a husband 
needs to give to a wife in order for a divorce to be effectuated. What we're discussing in this chapter is a case in which a husband is sending that get via messenger, which is not the usual scenario, right? This is a little bit of an edge case. The husband has already left and he's sending this get back via a third agent. Okay, okay. And what our Hebrew just said is if the get has entered her possession, literally if it's in her hand, if it's settled in her hand, he can no longer render it void. So what the Talmud is saying here is if there's a husband who's sending a get back to his wife, and I'm using heteronormative terms here because that is how the Talmud conceptualizes this, and I think the gender dynamics are relevant. If a husband sends a get back to his wife, once that get is in her hand, the divorce is effectuated. He can no longer render it void after that. Okay, okay. Because the issue here is, what if there is a husband, and there probably were many such husbands, who sent a get, and then later thought, you know what? Never mind. Cancel that get. Belay that order. And then you might have a case where if the messenger didn't know, maybe the woman would think she was divorced, but legally she would still be married. And that would be a really big issue. Right, right. Okay, so like she gets the first get. So she's like, I'm divorced. Okay, now I'm going to go marry someone and get pregnant. Exactly. You don't want to end up in a situation where you have accidental momsers being born. Right. A momser is uh, roughly equivalent to the English term bastard. In English and in most Western cultures, I think that term often describes just a child who's born out of wedlock. But in Judaism, being born out of wedlock is not qualifications for being a mom's heir. Being a mom's heir generally comes about by being the child of a forbidden relationship. So that would be, for instance, an adulterous relationship, or there are other kinds, but just not being married is is not adequate qualifications. So if a woman was still married to her old husband, but didn't know it, and then had a baby with her new husband, that would be a mom's heir because she's still halakhically married because she doesn't know the get has been rendered void. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. We have this sort of premise, and, and this is what we're talking about in this area of the Talmud. And what happens here is, as we continue down the page, our boy, Rabban Gamliel, who we've talked a couple times about on the show, he does a legislative act, a takana, that prevents gets from being voided by bait dens away from where the wife is living. So this was a big issue because what if a husband could go to a bait den, you know, wherever he was in some other country, and the bait den could void the get, and then she would still have no idea. Wow. That would be a bad yeah. deal, right? So Rabban Gamliel instituted this legislative act to say, basically, you can't do that. An amendment to the halakha. I wonder if the flip works of that, like, can you get a marriage contract in another country? Do you need both parties to be around to actually uh, do the marriage contract? That's another episode. Okay. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. I have an idea of the answer, but I would rather answer it when I've had time to research it and say accurate things instead of just guesses. So this is a case where the law is written in such a way that favors the party that's being divorced. It's favoring the the woman. Yes, it's a subject that's up for debate on this page. What this law is trying to achieve, is it primarily concerned with the plight of what we call an aguna, a bound woman, a woman who's trapped in a marriage because her husband won't give her a get? 
or is it primarily concerned with the possibility of mamzerim? So there's a question about who the law is favoring, but it's rare any time for halacha to sort of take its eye off of the generic male subject and consider the needs of others. Yes. In one case, they're really concerned with not creating women in this weird bureaucratic limbo of not being able to go on with their life because they're trapped in a nebulous state of marriage. Right. And this is a concern that's very much alive today. In observing communities all over the world, the issue of agunas, of bound women, is like a very real issue that, honestly, I don't think I'm research competent to truly speak on. But just know that this is like a, a live issue for many people. Yeah. And I think they're like a few years ago where some group of Orthodox Jews got busted because they were trying to solve this problem vigilante style. I yeah, think. I've heard about groups like that. Everyone in the community is like, yeah, this divorce needs to happen. The woman wants a divorce. The husband refuses to give it. So they just go to the husband and, you know, strong arm him through various right. means. right. So you can already see, we haven't finished building our allegory yet, but you can already see, right, how this is relevant to our listener question, right? It's about someone somewhere else who suddenly decided they want to keep you trapped and you just like have to go along with whatever happens. You're just sort of stuck at their whim. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So unfortunately, even after Rabban Gamliel made this takana, there were other ways in which a husband could get around it and still use a bait den other places to do this thing. There, okay. That's, again, I get tired of saying this, but it's a whole other episode. Basically, there are ways that a husband could still do it. And also, what if the bait den hadn't heard of that legislative enactment? You know, uh, all kinds uh, of, of edge case issues. Okay, okay, Of okay. like, a husband's not allowed to do this, but what if he did, though? Okay, okay, fine. You know, and once the bait din says that the get is invalidated, that becomes a whole other issue. Like, once they've issued their decree, we pretty much have to respect their decree, even if they weren't supposed to do it. Whoa. So, there's a lot of issues with just this institution. So, the Talmud goes on to say, essentially, because it's important for the bait in for rabbinical courts to have strength and to have the ability to deal with a variety of cases, we are going to empower courts with the ability to annul marriages post facto. So we are going to empower the courts to say, you know what? You were never actually married to this person. Whoa. Okay. Yes. I'll give us a little more original text. So we hear umi iki midi demid oraita batel gita umishum makoch beitin yafe, serenan esher ish le alma in kol dim kadesh adata de rabanan, mekadesh u afkinu rabanan le kedushin mine. Is there anything in the Torah that allows us to render a get void because of the reasoning of essentially bait dens need to have? some power to them and be able to permit a woman to marry anyone. So the Gemara is asking itself, like, isn't this like kind of ridiculous yeah, that yeah. we that we have this power? And it says, yes, there is something. Anyone who betroths a woman betroths her contingent upon the will of the sages. And when one fails to conform to their will, the sages expropriate that betrothal from him retroactively. Whoa. Okay, so If this guy is like really good at playing the edge cases, really like working the system, Mm -hmm. being a shyster and like totally having it his way, 
A sage that recognizes this can just be like, you know, I'm not even going to play that game with you because I have this trump card in the back, which is that you were never married ever in the first mm-hmm. place. So all these little maneuvers that you're trying to do based on this context that you were married, that's all null and void. Get the fuck out of my court system. This woman can do go do whatever the hell she wants. Right. And this is a bold halakhic step to say that all marriages are essentially dependent upon the approval of the rabbis. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Could be. Yes, so here is where they draw that from. The ritual of Jewish marriage, particularly rabbinic Jewish marriage, includes this phrase of betrothing someone, kedat Moshe ve'Yisrael, according to the laws of Moses and Yisrael. The rabbis are reading this of Yisrael part to mean themselves. They're saying, you know, you marry her according to the laws of Moses, a.k.a. the Torah, and according to the laws of Yisrael, a.k.a. the us. And so, therefore, we have the power to invalidate these marriages however we want to, basically. Yeah. And this has been practiced in an incredibly sparing way in the case of Agunot today. There's a whole wider and deeper debate about why it's not practiced more often and the politics of living in a country like Israel that has an official rabbinic system. And that's like a a podcast for someone much wiser than me to make. Yeah, you'd think if they use that law more, at least like in diasporic Orthodox communities where this stuff was taken seriously, you wouldn't have a need at least for those occasional vigilante gangs. Right, right. So... That's our basic text okay. that we're bringing here. And here is the allegory that I'm making, right? We can all be the different people in this story at different times. We can be the husband letting people go and then pulling them back without them even knowing the game that we're playing with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We can be the wife being at the whims of someone else, essentially entirely powerless, the ultimate victim. Mm-hmm. Or... We can choose to be the rabbis and claim essentially absolute power over whether a situation ends or not, regardless of whatever circumstances led to that. Well, I want to be that. (laughs) So I think in the end, my main answer to this question is you just have to choose what role or roles you want to play and commit to that. If you want to be jerked around on the attention and validation chain, then that's your prerogative. You're allowed to do that. But at any moment, you can choose to be the rabbi. Exactly. Exactly. If you want to break out of that, it's maybe in your best interest to say you're not available to be flirted with. Yeah. And that way everyone knows the terms of the get, the emotional get that you're giving in this relationship. Right? Wow. Wow. I had this situation a long time ago. I worked with this guy And he was always flirting with me. And eventually I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's do it. And then he was like, oh, I was never flirting with you. Never mind. And then I was like, that's fucked up. And then later he recognized that he was flirting with me. And it was just back and forth like all the time. Basically, I just felt like I was there to be flirted with, Mm -hmm. essentially, like to be a source for him to get some sort of validation at work from a pretty girl. And I definitely had a moment in that relationship. I went out with him to a Halloween party and we were like going as a group with some other people from the office and he brought 
some other girl not from the office that he was hooking up with. And I was like, listen, you can hook up with whoever you want, but don't like flirt with me for a full year and then ask me to hang out with you on Halloween. Oh, no. As if nothing is anything. Very stupid boy. After that heinous experience, I was like, you know what? I'm not available for this anymore. Don't flirt with me. Don't speak to me at work unless it's like professional conversation. And ultimately, that's what I had to do because he would have kept keeping me on his little yo-yo forever. Mm -mm. So that's my allegorical Talmud answer. You have to choose the terms of the get. You have to recognize your own absolute power to end or perpetuate this relationship and choose to use it the way you want to use it. Yeah, very wise, wise words. <laughs> I do like that the rabbis are acknowledging this kind of jerking around problem. They're like, this mm -hmm. happens. This this yeah. happens. And there's a lot. There's, I mean, pages and pages more about this. So they're definitely aware of this issue. And they talk some about like, what kind of person is the person who would do this? Oh, you know? that's funny. Like, they talk some about like, would a person really be willing to say I want to get and then embarrass themselves by taking it back and saying, never mind. And the rabbis are like, yeah, some people would. And that's fucked up. Some people love the drums. Some people love the drums. Some people probably actively enjoy trapping someone via legal trickery. Yes. Or emotional trickery. Yeah. Or yeah. emotional trickery or emotional chicory. Emotional chicanery. Chicanery. What does chicanery, like, where does that come from? I don't know. Chicanery, the use of trickery to achieve a political, financial, or legal purpose. From French chicaner to quibble. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Sophistry, petty tricks. Wow. Um. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any more advice to give our... Dear wonderful listener, Puzzled in Providence. Hopefully this episode uh, helps you recognize the situation you're in. I do think, you know, you can either be jerked around, you can be the rabbi. I think there's the third option, which is double down and like, just be like, okay, if you're serving it to me, I'm going to serve it twice as hard back at you and make them uncomfortable. That's just another <laughs> approach. That's an option, I suppose. Yeah, but um, sometimes people suck. And I hope that you find someone or find multiple people who don't suck in that way. Yeah, you deserve that, listener. Yes, you do. Well, yeah, I hope this has been a helpful episode for you. Thank you for your question. It was a joy to make it. Other dear listeners out there, if you have questions like this about ordinary life, it was a delight to try and find Talmud relevant to it. Also, if you have cool alliterative nicknames to give yourselves on your questions, you should definitely do that because it's fun. It makes me feel like an advice column in a newspaper. So send us your questions, send us your nicknames. If you want twice the content and a bunch of other stuff, become a patron. Either way, we adore you and thank you so much for listening to our rambling Half hour of Michigas. Yes, thank you, thank you. And Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.